0: and stuff that I believe is going to help some of us. I have done prophetic ministry, well, I've been exposed to prophetic ministry my whole life, but I've been doing prophetic ministry for the last 23 years, Um, and seen God do some amazing things and have lived through a number of moves of God. Um, You know, in the 80s, saw the incredible healing move of God that was happening in South Africa at the time. I remember as kids, it's really great to have my mom and dad Christian Bubbles, up front here. Um, there, um, the reason I'm so crazy for the things of God and the supernatural is because of them because before I was born I was going to crazy charismatic meetings where God was moving and um, I remember going to meetings with uh, all the big names and seeing God move in the most incredible way in the 80s with signs and wonders and miracles and then with the advent of people like Bill Hammond and a number of people, the prophetic movement began to break out and we begin to see the prophetic and the restoration of apostles and we've seen incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 90s and then uh, in mid-90s and then just before the 2000s, Brownsville and numbers of other moves of God and currently what God is doing in Reading and Bethel and in Toronto and um, in Mozambique and numbers of hotspots where God is moving and it's been incredible to see how he's doing that. And all through the veins of those, of those um, outpourings is being prophetic ministry. And it's been an incredible joy to grow up and to see the prophetic um, outworked in local church and the prophetic outwork in people's lives. And uh, we are at an all-time high of prophetic fascination, aren't we? Like the most Googled stuff that you see... In, uh, on YouTube with Christian Ministries all about the prophetic. You just see the prophetic all the time. Um, we have some SEO specialist search engine optimization, is that right? Who um, you know, have helped, helped us understand that one of the most Googled phrases is how do I get a prophetic word or what do I do with my prophecy? And um, there's a real fascination around the prophetic and I think that's beautiful because we should be fascinated with the voice of God. We should be, we should so value His voice. But I I felt today I wanted to share some stuff in terms of my own personal journey around how to process the prophetic. Because with high expectation comes the potential of high disappointment. I'm in church, I have to tell the truth. And and I I meet too many Christians, eh, who are standing in a line waiting for a prophetic word as if they can't hear from God themselves. I'll move on quickly. You all paid lots of money to get your prophetic word, didn't you? <clears throat> anyway. I'm gonna carry on. Um <laughs> We, we sometimes get so uh, caught up in the lines and the cues and the impartations and the, that actually we don't steward what God's already given. And we wonder why there is fruitlessness in our life. And I meet so many Christians who literally will come with volumes of prophetic words. I mean, I, I honestly have seen people with volumes. I'm like, man, if you just dig 2% of that stuff, you would change the world. And so I want to unpack a few things. So I'd love you to turn, please, to Acts chapter 26. And we're going to read from verse eight nineteen. 19. i just going to read one or two verses. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly version, But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. By the way, this is Paul, who is in prison in Rome because of a prophetic word. I love when people tell me prophetic words are all supposed to be good and warm and fuzzy. But Adobus, a few months earlier, prophesied, saying, Paul, you're going to be led and bound into Rome. This is the fulfillment of a prophetic word. That was not a judgment word, by the way. Just because a prophetic word makes you feel a little uncomfortable doesn't mean it's judgment. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of amens here, yeah, but okay. You see, we, we, we misunderstand That the aim, I want to say this correctly so I'm not misquoted suffering for the sake of the gospel is a godly thing. God, in his design, has not meant for the gospel to be spread through the vehicle of suffering. That's not his design. But he will use it for the sake of the expansion of his kingdom through sons and daughters who know that he is good. Suffering without an understanding of his goodness and the joy that's set before you is simply self-harm. It's not good enough to say I'm suffering for Jesus if you don't understand his goodness. Does that make sense? And so Paul gets a prophetic word that you're going to be bound listen prisons in rome if you've been to paul's mall you'd understand that prisons aren't fun places and rome would make paul's mall look like an nursery school but paul is willing to receive the prophetic word not because it tickles his ears but because he understands the process of the kingdom and the reward of the gospel. Flip over to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and verse 26. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. No, sorry, that's the wrong one. I think we should honor Scripture in this church, don't you? Can the brothers please all get up and... uh, Some of you are like, stone that false prophet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And it goes on. I mean, I could carry on such beautiful scripture. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he who called you is faithful and he will surely do it. One of the things that um, in our family it's quite interesting is um, the real prophet is Katya. Katya needs a whiff of prophetic inclination, and she's like, we're going. Me, I need to do the due diligence. We need to test this word, honey. And I need about 15 confirmations. And so you can imagine my surprise when the Lord began to speak to us about moving, and about unsettling our family, and about looking things up that I really like. You know, Jesus, they don't have good curry in America. (laughs) They don't have lamb in America. And I'm like, Jesus, this cannot get behind me, (laughs) Satan. And what it did for me, this last process, which actually, to be fair, has been going... um, just before we married, Kathleen and I are married tomorrow for six years, can you believe it? Um, it's still, we're still on honeymoon. Um, honeymoon with kids, not a good idea. Anyway, um, and uh, we, before we even got married, this process began a prophetic journey with the Lord about moving to the States and about what God would do with us. And... Um, As it began to approach, as we began to just get settled in this beautiful city of Durban, as we began to just feel like, you know, we're getting used to a bit of rhythm of life, we're in this conference and somebody says, God's about to accelerate your move to America. And I'm like, let me headbutt you. The problem, the reason why I wanted to headbutt him is because Katya heard that prophetic word and I knew we are in trouble now. (laughs) Now I need to get my guts in a row because we're... My wife is a woman of faith. I'm a woman of, a man, not a woman at all. <laughs> Thank God. Gender reassignment. Help me, Jesus. I am a man. <clears throat> I'm a man of caution and lying upon lying. My dad taught me, well, you've got to be careful, you've got to just measure it up. And in that process, I began to realize something in my heart, that as a prophet, I was despising prophecy. That I was treating prophecy, that word, do not treat it with content, means to make it nothing. And I thought to myself, hold on a moment, this is not biblical. I need to shift my internal worldview. And the reason, most of the reason, had to do with my orphan-heartedness that God wanted to deal with. Because this is way too uncomfortable. This is way too uncomfortable. I now am married with two kids. How do I make these moves in faith? How do I step out? When, when all of the logistics just seem completely impossible. And God begins to speak to me about not despising prophecy. And I want to just unpack this. The prophetic for you is meant to be an invitation to partner with the sovereignty of God. You see, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's not talking about the prophetic work that Agabus brought to him. He's talking about the moment he encountered God on the road to Damascus. And what he did was he had to partner and position himself and posture himself for that prophetic work to come to pass. You see, for many of us, when we understand the prophetic through the lens of God's sovereignty in an unhealthy way, what it produces is passivity. And the prophetic is never meant to produce passivity. It's meant to unlock faith. And so I see people saying, I'm just waiting for the word to come to pass. God said it. He's going to do it. (laughs) You know, God is sovereign. He's in charge. I once got that prophetic word 15 years ago that it will all change. And you're still in the same place. something has to shift in our understanding around the prophetic, that God's sovereignty does not mean a lack of responsibility and a lack of involvement with us. Yeah, that the prophetic is not ever fatalistic. It is always conditional. Yeah, the prophetic is not ever fatalistic in the sense of, if God said it this way, it will happen like this. doesn't matter what we do. Because otherwise, Paul would not tell Timothy that you're to wage a good warfare with the prophetic word because some, by not doing so, have shipwrecked their faith. You see, sometimes we receive prophetic words and we think, oh great, it's going to work. It's amazing, now God's answered all my problems, so I'm going to take a holiday and sit down. The sovereignty of God can never be sacrificed at the altar of His love. God's invitation in the prophetic is into a love encounter with Him. So you begin to journey with Him in your process. You see, sometimes we think of the sovereignty of God simply as a blueprint that tells us what to do, that He has preordained everything, that He has predestined everything. Problem with that kind of thinking is it makes Him evil. Because if He has preordained everything, it means that the murders of people is also preordained. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But in an attempt to try and pastor people in a way that's unbiblical, we have sacrificed His goodness and His character of love so that it can make us feel like God's in control. Yeah, yeah. You see, God is in charge of everything, but that doesn't necessarily mean He controls everything. You see, love that does not include choice is abusive. Just want to lay some foundation here because sometimes when we receive prophetic words, we think we're receiving a fortune-telling word. Friends, there's a partnership that God you. God is so secure in sovereignty that He has chosen to give you free choice And He's so big enough to handle your free choice that whatever choice you make, He can turn it out for your good and for His glory. It is not a passive thing to receive a prophetic word. It's an invitation to partnership. When you begin to partner with God, you begin to see the outworking of that prophetic word in some outrageous ways. You see i wonder if we need to understand a little bit more that the people of god the early church in particular understood god not through the lens of his sovereignty over them but through the lens of him being with them as the Victor over every circumstance so that whatever warfare they were facing their security was in the finished work of the cross That did not mean that they did not experience some setbacks and some defeats. It just meant that they knew that ultimately Jesus is the victor over all things and that this present reality will one day be overcome and swallowed up by the future reality of His goodness. And so until then, I'm going to stand my ground. And that's why Paul says you need to wage a good warfare with your prophetic words. You see, your prophetic word is not a serving suggestion. It's a tool for warfare. God's inviting you to partner in His sovereignty. Not only that, the thing I love about the prophetic, and particularly this verse about not despising, the way you know you're doing the will of God is by rejoicing always, praying always, and giving thanks always. It says there, for this is... The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It precedes how you receive the prophetic word. If you are grumpy and baptized in lemon juice, I don't care how many words of knowledge is in the prophetic word, you will still not be impressed with God. You see, friend, the prophetic has to be received in the context of rejoicing, praying and giving thanks. Oh, Katya and I are learning this lesson really well that actually gratitude is always the context for increase. That the more you're thankful, the more there's increase. I, 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 can I be cheeky just because I've got the mic? Well, the aim of the prophetic is not to be impressed by the level of accuracy. The aim of the prophetic is to be impressed by the revelation of Jesus in the prophetic. Because the fulfillment of all prophecy is not found simply in what you do for him. The fulfillment of prophecy is found in the pursuit of Jesus because the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen. In fact, it uses this phrase, find their yes and amen in him. In other words, if you're looking to find the fulfillment of promise, you have to pursue Jesus because they find the fulfillment in him. He is the great amen of all of the promises over your life. And when we live in the context of rejoicing, and by the way, that actually means to be happy. (laughs) Rejoicing always, praying always, Giving thanks always. That is how you fulfill all of your prophetic words because that's the will of God in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Doesn't that just take some of the pressure off a little bit? I'm going to press on because I do want to prophesy. And then it says the most incredible thing immediately after that. Do not quench the Spirit. Now have you ever thought about that verse? How can it be that we can stop what the Holy Spirit is doing? Unless we've got choice. It literally means do not put out the Holy Spirit. And I just want to suggest one or two things that can put out the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Busyness. Where the voice of that which is around you overwhelms the voice of who is in you. Brothers and sisters... Your activity does not merit or give you a merit of spirituality. I mean, so many busy Christians, busy giving jack squat. Yeah. <laughs> the inheritance of and God is that we are led by the Spirit. In other words, He's the one who's guiding us. He's speaking to us. He's moving in. I often talk about the difference between visitation and habitation. And the simplicity is that habitation means that he moves in and he inconveniences you. It is possible to live a life of such extreme busyness that all we're doing is drowning out the very voice of the one who's trying to lead us. Somebody agrees. And the most profound point I took home from Eric's preach is we need to take a nap. (laughs) Can I give you a little clue to the purposes of God? You'll accomplish more by accident than you'll ever will on purpose. We read Scripture and we think Paul was so strategic. He, he, like, gets to a particular place where there's a door of open favor. And because his friend is not there, he says, I'm going to go and go find my friend. He says, Titus was not there, so I left. If I was the revival manager of that guy, I'm like, there's a door open. Walk through the favorable door. I'm going to work for this. But he valued relationship over the mission. <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray always, give thanks always, do not quench the spirit, do not make prophecy nothing. The old King James says, do not make it naught. We we cannot reduce the prophetic to simply a serving suggestion or nice thoughts. Once we've weighed it, once we've valued it, once we have tested it, we have to then, this is the next step, pragmatically, or not pragmatically, we need to then mix it with faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that some people could not receive the gospel, the good news, because they did not mix what they heard with. Prophecy requires a mixing of faith. Where the words are so intertwined with your faith that you can't separate them. Brothers and sisters, when you hear a prophetic word, do you hear it through the lens of expectation and faith or do you hear it through the lens of cynicism and doubt? I often love it because I get to sit very often with elders after I've prophesied my jolly heart hearts and they'll say something like this, Mmm, it was a really nice word, Julian. It's lovely. I just don't think it's possible. I mean... When I look in the natural, that's the lovely phrase everyone wants to in the natural, as if the natural is separated from the supernatural. That's a whole other preach right there, but I'll carry on. In the natural, I'm just not quite sure it will work. We don't have the talent for it. The prophetic is not meant to connect with your ability to evaluate your present circumstance. It's meant to give you a window and a perspective of the future reality. It is meant to demonstrate God's preferred future for you, which you have a choice to enter into or not. We have got to learn to, when we receive prophetic words, rather than check out its plausibility, we posture our heart in faith so what we hear, we mix with faith and expectation that as we play our part, God will begin to bring to pass those things. We have to understand that when the prophetic comes, delay is part of the process. i <sighs> just going to leave this one laying a little bit longer and delay my next point. We, we live in such an instant culture that when we get the prophetic word we think that tomorrow it's going to happen. In fact, I want to suggest to you very often, when you get words that shape your destiny, they are meant to last a lifetime. And sometimes we're so concerned about getting our next prophetic word at the next prophetic meeting (laughs) that we haven't even taken time to mix with faith what we've heard. You see, the Bible says in, I think it's Psalm 105, that until... What the, Lord had said come to, what the Lord had said over Joseph had come to pass. The word of the Lord tested Joseph. In other words, when you receive a prophetic word, it's most often followed by a delay. It's most often followed by a season where it looks like everything is going wrong in the opposite direction. You are going to have your brothers bowing down before you. Yeah, I'm throwing you into a pit. When I got taught (laughs) about being a prophet when I was a teenager, the pastor said to me, just know that when you become prophetic, you'll go to the pit. A prophet in training. Thankfully, I have broken that over me because I'm actually quite happy and quite enjoy being prophetic. But I do want to say this, that delay is part of the process because God is more interested in forming Christ in you than He is in getting you to a particular destiny or destination. You, you just actually have to embrace that. And I want to say this, that disappointment is part of the prophetic journey too. Where that prophetic word doesn't come to pass. When what you thought was supposed to happen didn't happen. I have found that most often the best way to evaluate whether something's genuinely prophetic is through retrospect. Very often, the way we think God was going to do something, He gives us just enough in the prophetic to produce faith, but then He gives it a completely different way so that we are consistently living in the place of faith, leaning on Him. See, many of us think the prophetic should be prescriptive. It is why the Jews missed out on recognizing Jesus. They had all of the prophetic words, and they prescribed how God would fulfill those prophetic words and they miss the day of their visitation. Many of us read the prophetic and expect God to do it one way, and most often He's going, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm going to do it a different way just to show you that I'm God. One of the things that I've learned in the process of the prophetic... It's that like in order to genuinely, consistently, and attentively lean into God and His voice, I have to live an unoffendable life. God, you said you did, now you haven't done it. I've had enough. I'm out of here. <laughs> Do you know, offense is never given, it's always taken. I can't give you offense. You can only take offense. And you taking offense says more about you than about me. Guys, when you live with a heart, I just came to the Bible. says that how you receive the prophetic is very important. If I had time, I'd teach out of Luke, where it talks about the condition of your heart determines the yield of fruitfulness. The Bible says that the word of God is like a seed. The word of the kingdom is like a seed. And depending on what your heart is like will depend on the fruitfulness of that seed. I want to suggest to you that many of us live in a place of offense and cause a hardness of heart. And when prophetic works come, rather than receive it in faith, what we do is we approach it through the lens of cynicism and fear of failure. I'm nearly done. Don't worry. My last point on this in not despising prophecy, is that pragmatism follows the prophetic. You cannot receive a prophetic word and after having weighed it, and after having dissected it, and after having done the due diligence of people around you, decide that this is now God, do nothing about it. And yet I see many people, many churches, many contexts, receive prophetic words and all they do is write it up, put it on their wall, and that's it. You have to strategize around the revelation. Let me help you. Agabus prophesies that there is coming a significant drought in the Middle East. What does Paul do? I think that's God. Yes, it's right. We're going to take up offerings wherever we go so that we become the solution for that which was predicted. He pragmatically makes a decision to follow the prophetic word. Often I see people receive prophetic words and there are pragmatic things you need to do in that prophetic word. There are conditions that you have to fulfill. And sometimes what we do is we bypass that and just you know, hope that one day in the sweet by and by something might happen. Brothers and sisters, if God has spoken, it requires you to then posture, orientate, and strategize for that fulfillment. I'm going to say amen to that point myself because I think it's very good. It means that we had to buy airplane tickets. It means that we had to do some things to get us into a place of seeing some of the prophetic come to pass. Notice we did that after we waited, just so that I'd be pastoral here. We waited with friends, people who know us, love us, care for us. We have a spiritual voice of authority to us. Friends, can I encourage you? We can no longer despise the prophetic. Uh, Gaze, won't you come up, please? Because I'm just a little concerned in, in the current flow of prophetic ministry that I'm seeing on the earth today, that we've become enamored with simply being in the meeting and being impressed with the utterance. Rather than the content. Something's got to shift in our hearts. We've got to position ourselves. If God is set some stuff for your community, if God has set some stuff over your life, You have to position yourself for that. Listen, if God has said to you that you will be a business person, I suggest you start thinking about studying something for business. If God has spoken to you about being a politician, study up on how to do policies and make policies. Get engaged pragmatically to what God has said. Because in the kingdom, things don't happen by osmosis. Do not despise prophecy. Do not make it nothing. Do not make it entertainment. 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that two or three prophets had to weigh the prophetic words that were coming to that community. The reason you weigh it is not simply to check whether it's God, it's to put weight behind it. Because if it is God, you need to do something about it. And so I want to invite you, if you've received prophetic words, won't you start taking them out again over this next season? Start looking over them again. Start valuing them. Start believing God for them again. Actually, the last point, this is for real my last point I want to make. Sometimes the prophetic is unfolding. The Bible says in Hebrews that when God spoke through the prophets, it was a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there and a little bit there. And together they make a beautiful picture. It's unfolding. There's a beautiful moment when Abraham's got Isaac on the altar and the last word that he heard from God was to sacrifice his son. If he stopped listening at that point, He would have missed the next word saying, Abraham, there is a ram. And sometimes we place the emphasis in what God has said in a way that removes our leaning into him for what he's saying in any given moment. We have got to keep leaning into him. The prophetic is not static, it's unfolding. And God wants to bring some unfolding revelations to you. I've got the best job in the whole world. I get to help people see Jesus better and more clearer. Such a privilege. I I wanna provoke you to begin to call to remembrance prophetic words that have been spoken over you, to begin to take them seriously to begin to allow them to shape and direct your life. To begin to expect that your best days are here. We often quote the scripture in John it says the best wine is, is saved for the last. That's what we quote. But the verse actually says if the wine came and you drink the wine. It says most people serve the best wine first, but you have kept this wine for now. It doesn't say for a future event, for now. You've saved the best wine for now. I'm going to say that again. He saved the best wine for now. It's not a last day moment, it's a now moment. And I want to invite you into a prophetic journey with God that says, I'm going to take the future reality, God's preferred future, and bring it into the now. And so if you've got prophetic words that you know have been unfulfilled, but you knew they were from God. If you've got prophetic directives that you just said, I just don't know if I can step out in this. I want you to recall them and if you will open your hands and see them on your hands in front of you, close your eyes. I want to ask for a holy acceleration in some of those prophetic words. I want to ask for breakthroughs all over this room on those prophetic words. I want to ask that the best wine that God has for you, you get to drink now. Why wait for the day that you die Somebody once said this is not pie in the sky for the sweet by and by. This is steak on the plate while we wait. It's not for heaven, it's for now. And so Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the prophetic. Forgive us if we have made it nothing, if we've treated it with contempt. I ask you above all else, God, that you would resurrect prophetic dreams, resurrect prophetic promises. That God, right now, some of the prophetic words that you've spoken over us, God, that we would see a holy acceleration of them, that we would dare to believe again, that you want to still do it in our day and in our time. I thank you that goodness and mercy are not in a far-off eschatological event, but that goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. And so, Father, right now I'm asking you for fine wine now. (laughs) I'm asking you for wine that gets poured out upon us, a prophetic promise that intoxicates us with your purposes, that intoxicates us with your fullness, God. God, I pray for the gift of faith to be stirred up. That we will begin to make decisions and step up and step into pragmatic strategies that follow prophetic revelation. But above all else, God, I ask you that we would still find that every promise is yes and amen in the sweet person of Jesus. That the highest call to prophetic fulfillment is not our destiny. The highest call to prophetic fulfillment is a person called Jesus. Will we pursue Him in all things so that you would get the glory in everything and in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen.